You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Monday, January the 24th, a little grey in TW11, but what a way to start the week. So many bright spots over the weekend, none more so than that race, that clash between Shishkin and Inegumen, which delivered just about everything it promised and has set us up for the rest of the season in real style. They weren't the only stars. What about Royal Pagaya at Haydock, Yalarenki at Taunton, Tommy's Oscar at Haydock Park, and Dashiell Drasher and winner two for gold in a pulsating clash at Lingfield Park all deserve bouquets thrown their way. Brickbats, I think, for members of the all-party parliamentary group on betting and gaming, who with an ill-advised missive may well have holed their own campaign below the waterline. More of that in a moment, and at the end of the show, we'll be talking Pegasus World Cup with Dr. Dion Benson, the Chief Veterinary Officer for the Stronach Group. But first of all, Cornelius Lysett, news just dropped, new sponsor for the Cheltenham Gold Cup. Yeah, some, some concern about finding a, a sponsor for the uh, Cheltenham Gold Cup, the centrepiece of the festival. And I think um, last time well, you and I were chatting, the, the Daily Mail newspaper had indicated that, um, that the Jockey Club and Cheltenham were really struggling. Uh, if they were, they're not anymore because they've uh, landed Boodles as sponsors of the Cheltenham Gold Cup, already sponsors uh, at the festival and indeed supporters of Cheltenham and indeed Aintree. I think the company which deals with top-end jewellery started in Merseyside in Liverpool. So there's been a connection with Aintree uh, for some time, big connection with Cheltenham and that connection uh, has got uh, even stronger. The Jockey Club has insisted throughout this process of trying to find uh, the new sponsor uh, that uh, the fact it was in the eye of the storm over COVID in early 2020 has proved irrelevant. I'm not sure. I think there's a bit of spin on that. I think there are some people who might have come forward uh, to offer uh, their support for the, uh, for, uh, for for Cheltenham, who've been a little bit um, uh, perhaps slower than they might otherwise have been in coming forward. Uh, but the fact is that Boodles know the form, ho-ho, uh, they, they've been associated with the festival. They know that, uh, that being right in the centre of it in 2020, when there was criticism of Cheltenham, they were there. So they know how it all panned out and that the race course uh, followed all regulations uh, at the time. And now it's the Boodles Cheltenham Gold Cup, which is great. The one thing that the Jockey Club will be keen, I think, to stress is mm. that they would have been quite happy to ride this out without a sponsor if they hadn't got the right price. I think because Boodles is an existing sponsor, because it's not a what you would call a major consumer brand, it's a sort of high-end luxury brand, people will think, well, is this is this for real? Is this a big commercial deal that makes sense for, for Cheltenham and the sport? But I think the Jockey Club will be quite keen to stress this was not a fire sale and they got a fair price for the, for the sponsorship. How much, we'll never know. The fact is, they have they have got somebody, and uh, they will rightly be proud of the fact because they didn't have that much more time to do it. Uh, they'll be rightly proud that at the end of January they have uh, they have landed there what what they have been um, attempting to do for for a few weeks, a few months probably. Now, Cornelius, onto the gambling review and an extraordinary twist 
in this story as we approach the publication of a white paper which may yet formulate once-in-a-generation policy on safer gambling. Just at the moment that the major gambling companies, the Flutters, the Entains, and their body, the Betting and Gaming Council, try to convince government and the country that the gambling industry is responsible and committed to safer gambling, a group of pro-gambling MPs, the all-party parliamentary group on betting and gaming, have effectively launched what can only be described as friendly fire with a, a somewhat bizarre intervention and an attack on the Gambling Commission, which is the regulator. And they accuse the regulator, according to a report in The Guardian today, of displaying a bullying attitude that has caused mental harm within the industry and calls on the government to take it into special measures while determining whether it can continue as it is. Now, Cornelius, there'll be gambling companies, lobbyists and those close to this debate who will be weeping into their cornflakes this morning, trying to work out how they can put themselves back on the delicate tightrope they've been walking towards this legislation, that they've been blown off by a much more hawkish and rather less diplomatic group of colleagues. If it was, you know, I know it's a cliche to say if it was April the 1st, you might half think that um, uh, that that's what was uh, going on. And I think it's uh, probably pretty significant that uh, Conor McGinn, who is uh, not only a racing fan, but he's a big ally of horse racing in a very, very significant uh, post in, in the Labour Party. And he has resigned uh, from this group uh, as a result uh, of all this. And um, he's told The Guardian newspaper today, uh, he said, I've resigned from the group over the report and did not want to be associated uh, with it. Uh, the, the real and meaningful changes that the industry are, are wanting, to, to, to which you referred, is what sort of everybody wants, I think. And along comes the, this uh, group of MPs, and uh, certainly the way The Guardian has dressed up the story, it's sounding as though it's going, that you know, the, the political temperature, as we know in Britain at the moment, is very, very high. There's a lot of talk of sleaze. This uh, story in The Guardian uh, underlines the fact that the group's chair, the Conservative MP, Scott Benton, it claims accepted nearly £7,500 worth of tickets uh, from uh, uh, bookmakers, uh, a Labour MP in a prominent position, uh, nearly £3,000 worth of hospitality. Another Conservative MP who used to work for a bookmaker uh, is described as having nearly £7,000 worth of uh, hospitality. So basically, uh, as well as being a fairly extraordinary twist in this whole story, which will have taken plenty of people by surprise and angered plenty of people, critics and sceptics of not just the betting industry, but of uh, parliamentarians at the moment, are going to dress this up as, as another uh, slee story. The group's chair is a MP called Scott Benton. And I don't know if somebody's been just mischievous here, but I see that his uh, Wikipedia uh, appearance today um uh has um let, let me just read you the first the first line uh, and bearing in mind people can edit these themselves scott lloyd benton born 1987 is a gambling promoter and part-time british conservative politician it says well that was yeah. written by him surely yeah. 
Also, unsurprisingly, this has been pushed back by the Betting and Gaming Council, whose chair, Bridget Simmons, says the Betting and Gaming Council supports the Gambling Commission's role as the regulator. It's important we work with them. And when we propose changes for safer gambling, they are enforced by the Gambling Commission and become a requirement for all licensed operators in the UK. So the Betting and Gaming Council and the big bookmakers, the big betting firms like Flutter and Entain, will be trying to distance themselves as much as possible from Scott Benton, and Lord Donoghue and the collection of superannuated peers that make up the APPG. But they know that they're going to get attacked, not only by people like Matt Zarb-Cousin, who's been a very prominent campaigner against uh, big betting. And he's already tweeted today, this is supposed to be a serious analysis of the Gambling Commission. Gambling industry-aligned MPs clearly aren't bothered about the quote-unquote, mental harm caused by gambling operators. And then he says, bunch of MPs who've taken tens of thousands of pounds in gifts and hospitality off the gambling industry complained about onerous regulation of the gambling industry. But it's not just traditional anti-big betting campaigners getting the boot in. It's also smaller betting operators who think that what the APPG have released is, is absolutely brilliant and want themselves to have a, a go at the big concerns. You only have to look at at Jeff Banks, prominent, outspoken, independent bookmaker today, saying the report is compiled from the experiences and experience of licensed operators. It is disappointing you do not respect that and clearly do not wish to consider the wishes of consumers, more rather the beneficial interests of big betting companies and their mass collection of data. So if you are part of the effort to, to get this uh, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for responsible gambling um, responsibly driven through Parliament, you will be feeling pretty sore this morning. You know, there's there's so much in uh, British public life at the moment that is is hard to comprehend, and this is this is as hard to comprehend uh, uh, as anything. And uh, those people who were determined uh, that uh, it was a case of of working together to to get the best deal for all sides will be exasperated by this uh, by this whole situation. And so to the sport, and what sport? at the weekend. Shishkin defeated Energumen. That tells but a fraction of the story of what was a pulsating and absorbing race. The runner-up emerges with as much credit as the winner and perhaps enhanced his reputation more than did Shishkin as they head on to round two, which we dearly hope will be in the Queen Mother Champion Chase at the Cheltenham Festival. But in a bid to find out a little bit more about these horses, and I figured we knew quite a bit about Shishkin and his upbringing, I sought to work out why Energumen had made up into the sort of horse that he is. The man who bought him originally was trainer Tom Lacey. He sold him on, as he does many of his good prospects, to Willie Mullins. And I began by asking him where and when he'd seen Energumen and what it was he liked about him. Uh, I bought him in the Derby sale and I just saw a lovely individual with no pedigree. Confirmation-wise, his, his front feet weren't quite a pair. I remember him as clear as day, actually. Um, his front feet weren't quite a pair, but everything else was, you know, almost as you want it to be. He had a lovely deep girth, uh, great hind leg and everything. And he just had size and presence. And we weren't disappointed when we got him home and started breaking him in. And did you have to pay a lot of money for him as a, as a three-year-old? Uh, no, he was 50,000 euros. And I think at that stage as well, the euro was fairly favourable to the, to the sterling. So no, he wasn't an expensive store. So when you started to, to do a bit with him and started to ride him, what sort of signs did he show you that he was good? It was just extraordinary, actually, because the minute we started handling him, it was very clear he had a great mind. And 
I think actually, I think I was the first one up on his back and it was just, you know, the, his whole presence was just, it, it, it was just extraordinary riding him for the first time. He went around the lunge bit balanced and, you know, he tracked up behind. He was just, you know, he, and there was, he had a great front, good shoulder. I mean, you just think, wow, the dream's alive when you get on a horse like that rather than expectations. When you're bu- when you're buying horses to trade and you 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 need to kind of put form on them in a point to point, that that must be quite an anxiety inducing day, isn't it? When you take them to that that maiden that maiden point to point, it really is. And actually, that day was particularly stressful because the lorry broke down on Birdlip Hill, and uh, luckily I had a mechanic who come out pretty early on a Sunday morning and got us back on the road. But we certainly drove horses to the races quicker that day than we done previously or since um and actually we declared when the horse wasn't even on the on the racetrack which shouldn't be done really and uh we jocked up a another jockey because i had my jockey in the lorry with me and then when we finally got there i sort of had to puff my chest out and say please can i change the jockey I managed to organize it all and literally um the horse got off the horse box and ran um, and, and didn't disappoint. I mean, I don't know how well you know Lark Hill, but after the finishing post, about yeah. two furlongs on, there's some uh, some bushes, and I don't think Tommy pulled him up until he'd gone <laughs> through the bushes for the third time. So, so what he's done subsequently hasn't been a, a massive surprise to you. Now, Nicky Henderson famously tells a story about how you schooled him at Seven Barrows, and he should have spotted his talent there. Did you did you ever try and sell him to Nicky before you sold him to Tony Bloom and Willie Mullins? Uh, not as such. I uh harold kirk comes over to see us every sort of christmas time and you know we i tell him which horses i'm you know particularly pleased with and uh he's then seen them as individuals prior to them running and then once they've run i can say to him you know the denim red one yesterday or whatever but when you're dealing with harold and willie they're very very straightforward because harold's seen the horses here and then you know i ring him up and i say that horse is one and he just, you know, on that particular occasion, he just said, I'll have him. You know, it was very, very straightforward. There was no not nonsense. The vet was here pretty much the next day and uh, he was soon on a ferry over to Ireland. And, and what did you make of, of Saturday's race and, and his performance in it and what it might tell us about the future meetings between the two horses? Well, I, 99.9 times out of 100 and his jump at the last would have sealed it for him, wouldn't it? Um, Shiskin wasn't quite as quick over it as as he was. And um, I thought, you know, from the back of the last, I thought, that's it, he's, he's done it. And Shiskin came back, so he, he, you know, he's clearly an absolute superstar. Who, who, you know, and, and looking at that race, there's more improvement in Shiskin than there is in, in, in our lad because Shiskin blundered early on and he didn't, I don't think he jumped with the fluency you know, our horse jump with and uh it, it you know the rematch is something to really look forward to and and i know that you still call him our lad do you still feel that sense of of propriety do you still feel that sense of pride when you watch him oh without doubt i mean it's um you we've bought a lot a lot of horses over the years and uh he's definitely our flag bearer you know we've bought some good horses and, and um he's just yeah, you're incredibly proud. You know, I highlight. I spotted him at the sale, and he, he's not put a foot out of place for it. Not really. Yeah, we. You know, he, he, obviously, he's not ours, but you know, you have that 
emotional connection to them throughout their racing career and it's lovely to see them progress you you need horses to progress for you to sustain your business and um he certainly hasn't let us down Tom Lacey there with his memories of Enegumen, of whom he rightly remains proud. Okay, roll on round two, Cornelius. But before we try and work out who might emerge victorious next time they meet, put into words your feelings about Saturday afternoon. That was as magnificent a horse race uh, as I've ever seen. And, you know, everyone, I think, trying to, agreeing on that particular um, sentiment, but then trying to work out exactly why. And I think it was because, Everyone was so wound up about it, weren't they? A, was it going to happen? Uh, and nobody was entirely sure it was going to happen until uh, everyone turned up at Ascot and uh, uh, and it took place in magnificent style. So there'd been so much uh, anticipation. I think uh, I heard Nico de Boinville talking to, to you on Racing TV yesterday, talking about uh, being involved in this type of thing. And he actually mentioned Native River and Mike Bike, which was a great... Uh, was a, a, a great duel between the two, but that didn't develop until the actual race. This has been just developing for so long. But part of it, w- w- which made it so exciting, was it It wasn't a sort of um, enable Crystal Ocean, Grundy-Bustino duel, and it wasn't where something drew clear. It was the fact it was a swoop, and that just made it all the more thrilling. The, Nicky Henderson said yesterday, the race was a triumph in itself with some fantastic players. Who do you think wins the rematch if they both turn up at, uh, well, at Cheltenham on the second day of the festival? The worry for Anerjamin is that he was flawless yesterday, wasn't he? He did absolutely zilch wrong. He had the race won the whole way and he got done uh, close to the finish. Theoretically, Shishkin should be a bit better going the other way around. The track at Cheltenham has more emphasis on on speed, perhaps, but then... You know, it's speed up the hills. Somebody said to me at Lingfield yesterday, can you imagine of the, the great two-mile chases, whether you're talking Moscow Flyers, Altior Sprinter Sacras, all those type of horses, Viking flagships, Pearly Mans, who else would have beaten an Ujimane? Uh, and it wouldn't have been all of them. Was that as flawless a, a performance in defeat as you can imagine? It was. It was, in truth. And I, I, he enhanced massively enhanced his reputation for Absolutely. me. He was making the case for him on Friday. I thought Shishkin would, would beat him well on, on Saturday. I thought Anegumen massively enhanced his, his reputation. I think Anegumen might get his revenge at Cheltenham because oh, that old on. course, that, well, that old course, two miles, pure pace, I think they could struggle to peg him back. I really do, as long as the ground is not too quick. But I think the left-hand, right-hand thing for both horses has been a bit overplayed. And I know mm. Shishkin's won twice at the festival before, but an Eggerman hasn't had the chance to show what he can do there yet. So, yes, I appreciate that Cheltenham is a place where you either act or you don't. But I think at the current prices, I'd be quite tempted by an Eggerman. And don't forget, you could be chucking Chacan Poursois in there, the forgotten horse who's currently 12 or 14 to 1, was the best two-mile chaser coming into this season and might not be that far off them at his best. Do you take my point about extending the interest still further? So the fact is, the racing uh, the, 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 the racing world, uh, the aficionados, but also the people with a more peripheral interest, they're all, they're all in. Uh, and uh, the, the interest during last week uh, was, was fabulous. Now, it's important to extend a little bit further. One of the major Sunday newspapers, for example, just had one paragraph tucked down at the bottom of a page about this. So this is where the, the marketeers in British racing 
have now or, or racing full stop have got to got to work hard now to to extend that ag- again and I'm not criticizing ITV for one second. They do a brilliant job, but you know they were banging a drum. But then it was on ITV Four. I dare say schedules are set in stone some time ago, so it was impossible to switch Midsummer Murders to ITV Four and put uh, this uh, this uh, midwinter uh, Marvel uh, onto uh, ITV One. But it and and clearly the Queen Mother Champion Chase will be a, a, a feature of ITV's coverage, ITV One's coverage. Yeah. Of the festival, but it, wow. that's the, those are the things it needs to now. It's it's really captured hmm. uh, British British and Irish racing. Hmm. Now let's capture British and Irish sport and go as far as we can. Yeah, and Cornelius, the thing is, people didn't start waking up to Frankel until he'd won about ten races, and then suddenly the viewing <laughs> figures started increasing because people clocked that the, there was this amazing horse. And I think that, but I think that's the same in any sport. Horse racing will beat itself up, but if you only have a casual interest in track and field for example how long was it before you would tune in routinely to every record-breaking attempt by Usain Bolt for example I think fair point fair point I, I think if these two meet three or four times I think by the time we get to and they come first and second in either order a few times I think by the time we get you know to meeting number four or five it'll actually start becoming not box office but a bit more box office than it is at the moment and the great thing is they're both eight years old One's undefeated, one's practically undefeated. They have enormous talent. They have two jockeys who encapsulate what, uh, for traditionalists, National Hunt Racing is all about. That handshake at the end from Townend was absolutely magnificent, a magnificent part uh, of, the, uh, of the whole thing. Uh, and they're, they're eight years old. Nine year, we could, they could do it as nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds. So when we get to that huge stage, at the festival and hopefully a, uh, a pretty much normal festival in 2022. Uh, there'll be uh, a, that, that, that British-Irish thing, whether it's in racing or it's in rugby union or whatever it is, is so big and that will just further enhance uh, the, the, whole, the whole spectacle, the whole uh, situation. And actually, if you imagine it, um, the, the noise at Ascot uh, was absolutely tremendous. Well, you know, Ascot, uh, uh, people slightly, there were 10,000 people at Ascot, I think, something like that on Saturday. And uh, you can rattle around in those enormous stands, which are made primarily for the Royal Ascot Festival in, in June. But imagine that noise magnified at Cheltenham. Oh, it'd be absolutely wonderful. I know people who are looking to buy tickets for various different days of the festival at the moment. I, d- I think the Queen Mother Champion Chase Day would be, if I could only go to one, and uh, it, uh, that would be the one to, to, to really go for at the moment. It could be a great experience. So with all this talk of Shishkin and Enegumen, it's easy to forget other horses in the two-mile chase division, and one of those is Nubi Negra, who only narrowly failed in last year's Queen Mother Champion Chase. His sire, Dink, Spanish-bred Dink by Polyglot, is now standing at Olm Park Stud. Um, which is run by Grace Skelton, wife of trainer Dan. And Dink will be one of the stars on show at tomorrow's Thoroughbred Breeders Association Stallion Showcase that will be taking place at Goss UK in Doncaster. And Grace is, is with me now. Uh, Grace, this has been quite a journey, hasn't it? Really based on the exploits of, of one horse. You liked him so much, you went and bought the stallion. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose you're right, we did. Um, you know, we were very fortunate um, to have to be offered the stallion by Luis Severa, who uh, my father-in-law, Nick, used to show dog with. Um, that's how we got hold of Nuba Negra in the first instance. Um, he contacted us 
just over a year ago now and said, you know, I think this stallion has a lot to offer. Um, I don't think he's getting what you know, getting the mares he deserves where he is at the moment. Do you have any thoughts? And um, I, you know, I've been interested in breeding for for long. Had at the time a few breeders um, that you know I dabbled with and. We thought, you know, this isn't the sort of opportunity that comes every day. We have a real opportunity to bring something new to to British breeding, to have a bit have a bit of a build in ourselves. And you know, he's the only son of, of Polly Got standing at stud, um, so it is really something a bit different that we felt we could bring to the British breeding scene, and it was very exciting. And and how did he go down? Was he an easy sell last year? Did you manage to get plenty of mares into him? Yeah, yeah, we did. I was actually really surprised. You know, it's um, it's a bit, you always greet things like this with a little bit of trepidation, you know, how will he be received? But I was delighted with the response we had. He actually didn't come over until the end of January last year. So, you know, we really had to hit the ground running with him. We didn't have a little opportunity to market him over here, obviously, with COVID and everything else that he he didn't. He wasn't here in time for the Stallion Showcase or anything like that. Um, but he saw 51 mares last year, and we were absolutely delighted with that number. Um, you know, this year it looks like that's going to be much stronger. Um, early indications are really good, so that's fantastic. And we can see him tomorrow at the TBA Stallion Showcase, and you can see that online, so everyone can can look at how he's getting on. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll be up there. Our stud manager, Nick Pierce, will be up there with Dink um, at the Stallion Showcase. It's a fantastic initiative, you know, for British breeding. Um, and, you know, it gives a lot, of, a lot of breeders who perhaps don't have the scope to be taking days out of, of what are very, very busy, busy lives, particularly at this time of year. Um, you know, if they're at the sales anyway, what better place to come and have a look at your options for breeding? Because there are some really, really good stallions standing here in the UK at the moment. And, and it, how's Newbie Negra getting on? I mean, he's the great flag bearer for your stallion. He means everything to you really now. You've watched Saturday's race at Ascot. Do you think, oh my word, what have we got to, what have we got to do now? I think you, I think all you can do is go out there and, and, do, do your best. It's like most things in life. He is New Benegra, as you say, you know, he has a very, very special place in all our hearts. He is a, he is a really very special racehorse in his own right. Um, you know, quite rightly, Shishkin and Ergamin have had an awful lot of, of press and it's a very exciting clash, you know, perhaps one of the most exciting since the Corto Endemment days. But, you know, it is easy to forget um, the underdogs, if you like, although, you know, hopefully he's not. He goes really well fresh he loves Cheltenham um and you know to go out and give it his best shot you know he's a dual dual graded winner in his own right already um but it's either way it's going to be a terrific race and, and brilliant for brilliant for racing generally I just hope maybe you know maybe he's he goes in fresh and maybe has the edge on the other two you never know Grace Skelton there, and you've got to live in hope. There were plenty of other creditable performances over the weekend that on any other weekend would have really taken centre stage. Talking not only about the wonderful performance of Royal Pagai to win the Peter Marsh chase connections, suggesting he could go to the Denman chase at Newbury there now, and then perhaps another tilt at the Gold Cup if the ground is soft enough. Also, Lingfield yesterday, it was a wonderfully game performance from two for gold to win the feature race of the inaugural Winter Million, beating the equally game Dashiell Drasher. Thoughts clearly with everyone involved with the wonderful master Tommy Tucker, including uh, Louise Cabell, owner breeder, who's been on this podcast a few times, uh, devastated at the loss of him uh, on their behalf. A heartwarming performance at Taunton 
for Yala Enki and Bryony Frost, a, th- a third win in the Portman Cup for them. But I know, Cornelius, the performance that struck you most was that of Tommy's Oscar in the champion hurdle trial at Haydock. That might not have been the, the, the greatest um, uh, warm-up race for the champion hurdle ever, uh, but it was a very fine performance by the horse and by Danny McMenamin, uh, the rider on board. And uh, that is going to be one of the really terrific stories uh, going into the festival because trained uh, in Northumberland, the Northumberland countryside in the northeast of England by Anne Hamilton, owned by her husband, Ian. And they've run six horses this season. Uh, Thomas Oscar, that's won four. Pay the Piper, two. Nutswell, one. Bavington Bob, three. And two other horses as well. Uh, so they are a really small operation. Uh, they won't be going to the champion hurdle like Cyril Griffiths went to the Gold Cup with Norton's Coin in terms of odds because the horse will be quite a lot shorter than Norton's coins, 100 to 1. But it is what the traditionalists will love. It is a horse prepared by, in inverted commas, uh, small people, lower profile people on a farm in rural Britain, having a go on the biggest stage. Tommy's Oscar was five seconds faster. It's extraordinary over the sharp two miles at Haydock than John Bond. But John Bond actually came home from three out to the line over a second and a half quicker than than Tommy's Oscar did, which tells you something about the, the pace that those two races were run at. And actually, John Bond's finishing split was was pretty creditable off probably what was a pretty pedestrian pace in the novice hurdle. And they went like the clappers in the champion hurdle trial. Now, Gulfstream Park in Florida may be literally and particularly spiritually thousands of miles away from British national hunt racing. But this week... It hosts one of the world's more important races at this time of year, the Pegasus World Cup. And in 2022 in particular, so many eyes will be on this clash between the two marquee winners of dirt races at the Breeders' Cup. Nick's go the runaway winner of the Breeders' Cup Classic and the very lightly raced but very brilliant Life is Good, who ran away, streaked away with the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. All week, I'll be talking to some of those behind the scenes at the Pegasus World Cup and asking logistically how the event's going to hold together. And today, we're focusing very much on the safety of the thoroughbred, the welfare of the thoroughbred, particularly as it's under such scrutiny and understandably so in the United States. Dr. Dion Benson is the chief veterinary officer of the Stronach Group and has held that position since being appointed at the beginning of 2019, which was a bit of an annus horribilis for equine safety and fatality, particularly on the West Coast. As we approach uh, the Pegasus, which is really um, an event where the Stronach Group can flex any kind of innovative muscle in this direction, uh, Dr. Benson, are thoroughbreds, in your mind, safer than they were three or four years ago? I mean, I, I think so. We're, we're, you know, really in California and, and sweeping across the country. We're we're starting to see a more modern sport, which is exactly what uh, we our goal was when we started these these innovations. Um, you know, oftentimes I, I say I can suggest something at Santa Anita, and the horsemen instead of saying no, which might have been the reaction before, will listen. And more often than not, unless uh, there are significant concerns about it, the, the first answer is yes, um, which is great. And I think that's starting to really uh, filter through across the country, even in jurisdictions that Stronach Group does not have tracks. And, and how has that manifest itself? I mean, first of all, in, in California, we saw some figures released just before the, the holiday break. Yeah, I mean, we've seen um, 
an overall decrease in fatalities since 2019. And even in the past year, we saw a further decrease in our training fatalities and overall fatalities at both uh, Golden Gate and Santa Anita. I mean, obviously, our goal is to get these numbers as low as humanly possible. And I think there are some areas that we want to work on, um, you know, long bone fractures, the the humeri, the uh, the shoulders, the tibias, those, those uh, more challenging uh, fractures at this point for us. And certainly sudden death is an issue that we've been working on for a couple of years with uh, research studies at the University of Minnesota. So we're we're focused on those and going to hopefully continue to push these numbers down. Uh, and I know you're always focusing on on track safety and trying to maintain that so that there's a, a minimal risk of, of injury. A Gulfstream, you're installing a tapita to run alongside the turf and the and the main dirt track. What's the thinking behind that? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a couple of thoughts. Certainly, uh, Gulfstream Park is is our largest track where we do the most racing year-round and because of that we have to make sure we we conserve our grass and and turf surfaces as long as we can for as much use as we can and part of the idea is to give a little bit of a break to the turf using the tapita. Um, Additionally we've seen that you know it's southern Florida horses it rains here and when it rains we don't want to run horses on the track because then it does get really quite damaged and in order to um, encourage people to keep horses in we we have this tapita option which will act a little bit more similar to turf than it does to dirt that uh, than turf does to dirt and we're seeing fewer scratches when we come off the turf as a result you made the decision three editions ago to uh, say no lasix no medication for the for the pegasus uh, in light of subsequent events do you think that's a, a decision that's been been vindicated? Yeah, I think that, you know, we certainly took a risk um, at Pegasus in 2019, or actually 2020, uh, to say that, you know, Lasix is not going to be allowed uh, in, that, in our signature races. And uh, I think that what we have seen, by and large, is it's been m- mostly a non-event. Uh, the horses are still racing. They're still racing in stakes races. We aren't seeing, you know, horses that are an increase in, in actual bleeding out the nose or anything like that. Uh, and life is going on. And looking at, at this event specifically at, at the weekend, can can the big viewership and the public watching on, on NBC and elsewhere, can they, they have confidence that these top class racehorses are racing as fairly and as safely as, as is possible? I think we're we're not only um, increasing the measures that we do. We're asking for a lot more both information and participation from the uh, attending vets for these horses. For example, this year, for the first year, every horse that races on Pegasus Day, whether it is in the Pegasus race or race number one, we are uh, requiring those horses to be examined by their veterinarians within the three days prior to entry. And so the veterinarian who has the most information about that horse will be making the decision before that horse even hits the entry box that it is, in their opinion, sound to race. And then beyond that, we have veterinarians that work for uh, the Stronic Group who will be um, at each of the, the training facilities in southern Florida to watch horses 
uh, workout in the three days prior to the race. Uh, we'll watch them on the track, make sure that they look good, not only in the shed row, but underweight. Um, I actually myself look at all of the horses in the two days prior to the exam that are entered in the Pegasus, the Pegasus turf, and the Pegasus Philly and Mare turf. Um, and if we see anything out of the ordinary, we have an ag- in our race conditions that we are able to ask for ultrasound, um, radiograph, any diagnostics we would we would need uh, to feel comfortable about that horse racing. And honestly, every year we have we have uh, required something from someone. Um, and in some cases, it ends up in the horse in a horse coming out. In some cases, it's just good information for us to have to have better comfort with that horse racing. Dr. Dion Benson, the Chief Veterinary Officer at the Stronach Group, and our updates from the Pegasus World Cup and Gulfstream Park this week are brought to you in association with our friends at HBA Media, the leading international agency distributing the horse racing rights around the world of big events like the Melbourne Cup, the Breeders' Cup, Royal Ascot, and of course the Pegasus back on home soil. And Cornelius is still with me, and has a tip for you for this rather more low-key Monday afternoon. Uh, I, I like a horse running at Wolverhampton in the five o'clock race. And I've just looked at the prices. Obviously, this price is going to collapse as soon as I name it. But she's 10 to 1. Oh. Uh, she is called Isabel Moore. She is trained by Alice Haynes, Angus Villiers, uh, good apprentice rider on board. Uh, that horse uh, ran fourth last time uh, after um, uh, a break at uh, Kempton over six furlongs, facing seven furlongs today, 10 to 1 shot. Must be good each way value, in my opinion. All right, Cornelius, thank you so much. Uh, thank you very much for listening. That was a very busy Monday, January the 24th. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.